91. The investment manager seeking opportunities in change. The world is constantly shaped by change and change brings opportunities, but opportunities are not always obvious. 91 was born in times of change and has seen past its distractions to seek real investment opportunities to help clients reach long-term investment goals. 91. Investing for a world of change. Find out more at 91.com. Capital at risk. 91 is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Hello and welcome to Future Thinking. The beauty of this podcast is we can discover everything and anything to a point. One thing that does come up constantly in discussions with fund buyers is the need to find truly uncorrelated assets. So that's what's drawn me to the world of music and music royalties. An expert in the field is Momentum Investment Management's Gary Moglione, who invests in companies which benefit from owning royalties to popular song catalogues. In this discussion, which was recorded in the second week of October for context, Gary talks about how streaming has changed the game for music investment and what the logical next steps could be. We also reference a piece by my colleague Daniel Ruiz, which I will put a link to in the show notes below. So sit back and enjoy. Hello and welcome back to Future Thinking with me, Chris Sloan. My guest today is Gary Moglione, who is a portfolio manager at Momentum Global Investment Management. Gary, thank you for joining me. Thanks for inviting me. So Gary, you're on because it's a very interesting part of the world that's become more and more relevant. I know you spoke to my colleague Daniel Ruiz about this for a recent magazine article we did about music and music royalties. And when we're talking about the future and future thinking, one thing that constantly comes up is the growth of uncorrelated assets or new investment ideas. How much does music fit into that? And I mean, I always do this and apologies if it's not the biggest question to start with. How much of an investable universe is music? Oh, it's a, probably a difficult question. It's probably, uh, the question is probably how many songs have ever been written? Because every, every song that's ever been written has the potential to generate a, a revenue stream. And that revenue stream is essentially the investable universe. However, I would imagine a large proportion of, of songs never ever see the, the kind of open market and are never sold. If, if I write a song or a, a catalogue of songs, then a lot of people will keep hold of them and they'll pass down through the next generation of family and there'll be, there'll be kind of retirement plans and, and, and trust funds for the children and grandchildren. But yeah, it, it's, a, it's a huge market. Obviously, it's growing every day because there's new songs being released every day. Uh, so it's, 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 it's absolutely massive uh, is probably the, the answer. Probably to give you some examples, you know, some of the recent kind of funds, there's, there's a news out today that hypnosis are going to be potentially tying up with or market hypnosis, not the trust tying up with some uh, some of the private equity funds and uh, there'll be a new $1 billion uh, fund or some sort of investment oh, wow. structure. Uh, last week, KKR and Apollo, I think we're putting a billion into Harborview, which is a focus on music and entertainment sectors. BMG and its recent results said they're in talk over a pipeline of deals with about a billion. So these are all huge sums and this is this is new money coming into the into the asset class as well. We've seen recently, I mean, hypnosis is a great example there because we've seen them come more and more prominent in recent years. Has it become a big deal, much more a big deal now? And what has led to it becoming more prominent? Yeah, so hypnosis has grown to one and a half billion in uh, sterling in three years. And if you, if you think about it, half of that half of that time has been in, during the global pandemic as well. Roundhill has raised, I think, just under $400 million. Uh, private equity being very active in the space for 10, 15 years. So it, Roundhill and Hypnosis are the first ones to bring it to kind of the retail and, and, and the kind of wealth space. What's changed? Why is it suddenly a, a hot topic? Well, one is Hypnosis and Roundhill opening up a, a whole new market. But two is, is 
the the industry itself is undergoing considerable change and that's streaming uh 10 years ago the music was in heavy decline many consumers were downloading music illegally so therefore not paying for it and that became the norm uh with the majority of the market i would say doing that and, and that's because there was a lack of alternatives you know you could go out and buy a cd or an album for 10 15 pounds but you didn't have access to kind of the entire uh you know global catalog illegal downloads offered you that and offered it offered you offered it to people for free and that's what was ravaging the industry but over the past few years streaming has offered a, a viable reasonably priced alternative and that's why i think the industry is undergone significant change and that's why it's attracted so much new investments over the past few years so whereas the industry has been having decline in uh, revenue globally up until about 2014 it's now show, uh, demonstrated significant growth year upon year uh, and that's why there's so much kind of active investment and, and, and publicity around the space now you mentioned there about buying cds i remember going into the local town local city spending 15 16 pounds on albums that would be one or two songs and then largely filler and it seems like now we're in a, this has been a theme across the whole of these future thinking things, this idea of customization and, and specific needs. Cause like you said, if you, if you have a Spotify um, subscription, you're spending a 10 pound a month here in the UK, you could get any music from anywhere. Do you see streaming remaining the dominant factor though? I mean, I put this in the question to you beforehand, CDs must've thought they were sitting fairly pretty. They, they were doing very well. I know vinyl had a bit of a recovery and it still does. But are you even looking that far ahead? Is there anything that could potentially unseat streaming or are we in the sort of hyper-reality theoretical thinking stage there? I, I, I think we're at the kind of the extreme, extremely efficient end of the, the, the scale now. So C CDs were kind of ripe for, for, for disruption. If you think about it, to, to sell a CD globally, you've got production, distribution, you've got to set up distribution networks and retail networks across you know, the, the entire planet. That's expensive, it's complex, and there's a lot of people as part of that value chain that will take a cut of the, the profits. Streaming now, all you need is a, is a mobile phone. You download an app and it's, it's an internet connection. Uh, so you can now distribute your product anywhere in the world that has the internet, which is, which is everywhere nowadays. Uh, and literally at an incredibly low cost. Essentially, it's free once to distribute it. Once you've got the, the, the internet and, and the app set up, it's free. So this to me now is the most extreme form of distribution. It's, it's extremely low cost and it can touch anywhere in, in the planet. I think the threats to streaming might not be disruption as in a new kind of delivery methodology will, 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 will emerge. I don't think that'll happen, but it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult industry to keep, keep together. If you think about there's lots of vested interests. So there's lots of different uh, catalog owners, record labels, everyone's got their own motivations. Spotify and, and streaming right now has managed to bring them all together and, and all, all kind of join together on, on, on these various platforms. But to me, the, the risk going forward to streaming could be, you know, one major label decides to try and pull their catalogue and go on their own. Uh, that will be difficult because, you know, as a music fan, you, you don't half, your, half your, your, your interests on one platform and half on the other. The other threat might be cost. You know, if, if Spotify or the music industry drive costs up too high, then that might drive people back to illegal downloading because the technology is there for illegal download. If, if, not, if, if anything, it's better than it was 10 years ago. Uh, so they, they, I would say they're the two risks. One is pricing themselves out of the market and switching people back to piracy. And two, uh, maintaining that kind of status quo between all these different parties to, to ensure that streaming does offer the kind of full range of catalogs rather than them all arguing with each other and trying to go their own way. 
Well, that's a really good point because that, that was something that I had in my notes is, is we've seen it with other, with visual content. We've seen it with Netflix were the monopoly. I mean, they still are huge, but then we've seen the growth of Amazon Prime and then there's been Hulu, Peacock in the US, Paramount Plus, all these groups setting up and also having their own unique content. Is there any suggestion that, I mean, using Spotify as the monopoly and you may correct me there, but in, in, they then start to see small competitors paying over the odds to get exclusive rights to one artist. It makes me think, I don't know even if it's still going, but Tidal attempted this of having exclusivity and didn't seem to be very successful. But could that become a more real threat in the future? I think so, because, you know, all these separate businesses could, could, could fall out very easily. There could be competition over pricing, et cetera. Someone might want more money than, than another, you know, one label might want more money than another, et cetera. So that risk is always is always there. I think for the consumer, though, the consumer won't, won't want to drive that. The consumer will want one app or one subscription that they can just access whatever they want, whenever they want. I think the consumer won't be happy if it's if it's if it's if it's split amongst different platforms and you have to pay different fees to different platforms. I think that that would increase the risk again of people going back to uh, an illegal app where you can download things illegally. So I do hope that the music industry can keep it keep itself together, can can work well with the digital platforms, can keep uh, the agreements in place and have kind of you know cover all agreements where most major catalogs are all available in one one or one or various platforms. I think competition is good. So you know if Spotify is the one platform, then they they may have more leverage and be able to to drive up their share of the revenue, which would be detrimental for music copyright owners and songwriters and artists, etc. So I do think there should be competition in terms of more than one digital platform. But I just hope that the, the music industry can can then license that as each one of them as a whole. And, and consumers can just choose which one they want to use for ease or cost. And that will help maintain, that will help ensure the costs don't go too high for the consumer as well, because uh, hopefully there'll be some sort of price war if one tries to raise the price too much. Yeah, absolutely. And as, some, as personally, as someone who consumes a lot of music, I'd hate to end up with several subscriptions. We've already seen that, especially in sport, where Sky Sports in the UK exactly, have a yeah. monopoly, and then they've, they've gradually lost, and they've lost their edge in that regard. If we get into the nuts and bolts, Gary, because one thing is really interesting is how people actually get paid in this um, scenario. And you mentioned before to me about the group Cobalt. So could you expand on that and, and companies like it? Because if I understand correctly, they're the ones actually going out, securing the use of this music and, and maximizing the returns, or is that an oversimplification? Well, yeah, well, Cobalt, Cobalt is kind of a, a sign of the, the growing efficiency in, in the, the market. If you think about historically, how did you collect revenue for, for, for songs? You had, you had CDs, you had, you had vinyl, you had radio plays, you had adverts, et cetera. So in each country, there'd probably be collection agencies that collected from licensing fees, small radios and industries. So it was all kind of done manually. So as an artist or, or a songwriter, you wouldn't know what you're earning and you would probably get a check six months, eight months, nine months, a year down the line uh, and probably a pile of statements all, uh, all stuck together or handwritten statements or typed out statements saying this is how much you, you've, you've generated from Spain, radio play, et cetera. It was very complex, very costly. Uh, and I think a lot of the fees that were collected by the big publishers, which are attached to the to the major record labels. So the fees for collection was some, ranging between, I think, 15% and up to 40% for certain revenue streams in certain countries. So it was time consuming. There was long delays and it was costly to collect your revenues. And it wasn't transparent. You just received a check at the end of the cobalt. So now that music's been delivered, a, a larger proportion of music has been delivered digitally. You now got these these companies that can can take advantage of that. They can give you more transparency, quicker payments, 
you can you can you can monitor your your, your radio your, your your collections in various countries, not exactly in real time yet, but it's getting closer and closer. Uh, so cobalt is is more kind of a lot more digital. Uh, it's it, so it benefits the the copyright holders, the artists, the songwriters because it's more transparent because you get your money quicker, uh, and the costs are lower. So I think hypnosis. I'll give a few figures on theirs when they buy catalogs. Again, the legacy publishing deals, the collection fee, the fee collections, the, sorry, the collection of fees uh, costs around between 15 and, and I think 30 odd percent. They, their agreement with Cobalt is, I think, a, a blended amount of around six and a half. So you can see that's an uplift to, to bottom line straight away. If you switch a, a catalog from an old legacy, costly uh, collection agency to someone like Cobalt, you can reduce your fees straight away. And that's, that's one of the major advantages that people like Roundhill and, and, and Cobalt are saying that will add to the, the value of the catalogs. You're buying the catalogs net of fees and then your collection fees you can reduce over time as you switch them to, to people like Cobalt or to more efficient and, and less costly uh, collection agents. So efficient and competitive seems to be the way forward for the industry as a whole. Like you said, with streaming also, that, that creates a level of efficiency and with the people actually going out and securing the, the royalties as well. It, it, in that regard then, how much is this a truly uncorrelated asset? I know we have talked about this and this is slight tangent from what we were talking about there, but if people were to allocate to this, is this something that you would have in a portfolio as a sort of additional alpha kicker or is it more cool than that? So, so we hold, we hold Roundhill and Hypnosis. Um, we hold them for kind of two key reasons. One being, so you're getting paid around a little bit over 4% yield. Uh, but we also believe we want to take advantage of the growth in the market and some of the structural changes uh, and, the, and the diversification. So we get paid around four, between 4 and 5% yield whilst we wait for these structural changes to come through. Now, what are the drivers of, of music royalties and how do they compare to like equity markets and fixed income? Nothing's ever perfectly uncorrelated. So there, there is still kind of links to the economy and, and obviously the share prices versus the NAV in the closed-ended vehicles will have some, uh, uh, you know, some kind of correlation to, to equity markets. But the main drivers of, of music royalties are technology driving down costs and increasing the audience, legislation. Uh, so, you know, will, will songwriters get a, a, an increased portion of the royalties compared to digital uh, providers going forward? Emerging market growth, uh, you know, China, India, these places, India, Spotify was only launched in India a few years ago. Uh, so these are the most populous countries in the world. And as, as, as their GDP grows, more people get mobile phones, costs of data come down the growth will be extraordinary in, in these countries and then new revenue streams as well so tiktok peloton robux all these type of things are all new revenue streams that, that didn't exist before so they're the key drivers of of, of what will what will determine the returns of, of music royalties going forward and um, a lot of them have little or no correlation to kind of you know, interest rates employment rates the equity markets etc uh where there will be some correlation one will be the share price versus now so these these can you know, during COVID, the peak of COVID, hypnosis went to a discount for a few weeks and then shot back up again. So there'll be some equity correlation there. Discount rates are an important uh, part of the valuation of the catalogues. They've been coming down in recent years in the music industry. And for each, I think, quarter of a percent redu reduction in the discount rate, it gives about a 4% uplift to the value of the catalogues. So given inflation right now, there's probably upward pressure on the risk-free rate, but there's probably downward pressure on the, the premium uh, that the asset class uh, has over the risk-free rate. So right now, the discount rates could just come down from 9% to 8.5%. Uh, and I still think that that, that premium will, will, will come down. 
as people switch from a discretionary model of buying records, vinyl, etc., uh, to a more utility-like, which is you pay your Spotify £10 once a month, then those revenue streams will be less volatile. They'll be more predictable. So that, 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 that helps to reduce that discount rate. So I think overall, yes, there will be some correlation. As with every investment, there's always some. But you know, in terms of choices out there, this is one of the, the, the less correlated asset classes. And it's one that's showing you know, consistent growth at the moment as well. So that's what's quite attractive to us. One final question, Gary, because I think you've covered everything in, in great detail. So thank you very much. And one of my colleagues once interviewed Nick Train of Linsell Train. And, and at that point, he had a big stake in Manchester United and Manchester United weren't doing particularly well on the field. Nick Train said he didn't care, basically, because they were a well-run business that happened to play football. And as long as the business side was still good, he didn't really care if they just lost 2-0 at home to Fulham or whoever it was. Does it matter if you're a music fan? Does that have any bearing at all? Or is it solely this is a business opportunity that happens to be about music? Yeah, I think it's, it's the latter. So to me, uh, I wouldn't describe myself as a massive music fan. I do enjoy music. But to me, when I talk about the investment, it's about the revenue streams and the potential to grow those revenue streams and how consistent they are and what are the opportunities. So I don't care whether it's, it's, it's Meatloaf or Beyonce. Uh, I care about the revenue stream. Now, where I do kind of differentiate is uh, 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 an earlier vintage, uh, an older song and a, and a newer song have different return profiles to me. So I want to know who the artist is and what the song is because I want to know the vintage of it. Because you imagine when a song gets launched within its first three years, it's probably going to be peak earnings. And then it's going to, you know, it's, it's all over the radio. People are buying yeah. it. People listen to it on Spotify. Then it declines over time. So I want to know who the artist is and how, how recent it's been uh, released just from to try and profile that, that that revenue stream but other than that i don't care who the artist is what the song is i want to see the 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 the, the data on the cash flows i want to see where where it's been and where it's going uh so to me yeah you don't have to be a music fan because it, it, it's bond like it's, it's like it's like investing in in, in bonds rather than you know, the commodity is a very interesting commodity that the product is, is something very interesting and when i hear one of one of the you know the songs the hypnosis or randall own on the radio I will tell me kids, you know, this this is one that we invest in. I will encourage them to to add it to their Spotify list so <laughs> yeah. try and bump up the revenue in, in some way. But that's where it probably ends. To me, it's 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 a revenue stream rather than a, a you know a, an interest in the, the style of music or the artist or the song. So I'm already trying to think of headlines in and as we're going along and, and Beyonce Bonds and Beyond seems to be sticking out <laughs> for me. So um Gary, thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time to speak to me. Okay, well, thanks for inviting me. Ninety-one, the investment manager seeking opportunities in change. The world is constantly shaped by change and change brings opportunities, but opportunities are not always obvious. Ninety-one was born in times of change and has seen past its distractions to seek real investment opportunities to help clients reach long-term investment goals. Ninety-one, investing for a world of change. Find out more at 91.com. Capital at Risk, 91 is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.